listening to the Exile Hour. Hosted by Kayla Jackson Dills and Evan Phillips. We hope you enjoy the show wherever you are in the world time zones. Remember, be safe, be vigilant, and keep listening. According to the CIA, anomalous cognition is possible and has been demonstrated. This means that astral projection, also known as remote viewing, is a fact. Wait till you have the fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. <laughs> There's nothing like them. The fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Oh my god, my mom loves that movie. I think everyone's mom does. That beautiful female friendship, you know? That probably led to a lot of uh, divorces. I've got like a hazy memory of that movie. I remember there's like a murder, like somebody's husband's murder. Yeah, who needs a man around when you've got uh, lesbianic companionship? All right. Welcome to the Exile Hour. Tonight we have Benjamin Bennett, star of such YouTube hits such as uh, Sitting and Smiling and Walking and Talking. Yeah. Lesser known hits include uh, everything else. <laughs> uh, ben was this is the son of John M. Bennett, um, who's sort of well known in the well, I should say in the in the realm of uh, avant garde poets is pretty pretty well known. Um, how, however far that extends, but uh, sound poetry that was kind of his thing, and uh, there was in the 1980s uh, male art movement. That's not M A L E. I wish it was. But uh, M A I I L. Don't we all? Very foul. Um, it may have. I mean, let's let's not say those things are mutually exclusive. However, uh, it was uh, male centric with the eye primarily, and people would send around uh, different things in the mail to each other. Artists primarily, but uh, also musicians sending tapes. Um, and uh, things that are non-classifiable. So uh, Ben grew up in a unique environment. Uh, his mother's also an artist, um, primarily a musician. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it by trade. I don't know if it's if it considers it to be a profession, but uh, mostly mostly doing fully improvised music or free playing. Full disclosure: um, done a number of tours playing that music um, or non-music with Ben number of times um has a pretty unique approach to doing it I mean, he plays still plays like a traditional drum set sometimes but mostly is um doing what we've affectionately dubbed as floor pie which is is when somebody is usually playing around with a bunch of bunch of crap on the ground so he's in a bunch of drums and uh homemade objects found accoutrements and uh he's it's it's pretty wild to watch it's like a like a octopus going through rigor mortis or something. So that's that was his primary activity for a while, and uh, he became interested in endurance art. Um, people sort of uh, testing the limits of the human frame and their own uh, maybe internal excruciating mental anguish. How far you could stretch these these sort of actions and uh, aestheticize them to whatever degree um, they were interested in doing that. And that's where Ben started with sitting and smiling, uh, which later has evolved into the current activities of walking and talking. Let's get Ben on the horn. Is he, is he from Philadelphia? Uh, no. He lives in Philadelphia now, right? Yeah. Born and Raised and lived in Columbus, Ohio for many years. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi, Caleb. Nice to meet you, Ben. And I, you already know Evan, so yeah, that's good. Yeah, I've never met this man in my life, but uh, <laughs> we, we've we have we we've we've traveled together and uh, been in the same proximity. But I, I thought I, I thought I knew you until now. We only exist in a mediated world. This is actually a simulation. And that he's the only conscious being. His uh, state of solipsism is. You're the true indigo child. That's kind of kind of irrelevant though, because uh, even if even if I am the only consciousness and uh, solemn solipsism is true, then uh, I wouldn't really change anything. You know, I, I would still have to act in accordance of um, what uh, what brought me joy or whatever in life, and uh, that would require treating this hallucinated world probably in the same way as I do now, assuming that there are other 
subjectivities present. So it's like if I'm treating these other beings, which are hallucinations of my own consciousness in such a way that they appear to respond to me in a way that's favorable, then it's not really any different than assuming that they are uh, true subjectivities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like when people uh, posit the idea that uh, we could be living in a computer simulation. Yeah, I, I actually kind of feel like um, this, like the question of solipsism versus not is uh, in some ways a false dichotomy in that I, like I, like I kind of believe that the, the world is created from mind and um, from a sort, certain <clears throat> logical point of view that would kind of imply solipsism, but um, it's almost like a universal kind of solipsism in that the it's not that the center of consciousness is here in my body or something, but that there is no center of it uh, and that all, all the subjectivities are just kind of localizations, you know, relative localizations of, of this sort of uh, omnipresent consciousness. In a, in a sense, there's something to be drawn from solipsism in that I, I do think that like, like my consciousness is creating my world, but then at the same time, it's like uh, all of consciousness and all of the world are, are not separate. You created your own simulation. Um, solipsism is real. And you were the only conscious being in existence. And uh, your current life is an instance of you experiencing your eternal self if it is a if there is a simulation then it implies an outside world that is more real that's true i guess if you're in a simulation then that would mean that would mean there is a truer reality there's that philosophical thought exercise of um the experience machine where um you pose to people a question so what if there is a hyper-realistic sort of VR thing that you could go into and it would produce for you the ultimate uh, happy life fulfilling, whatever your definition of the most joyful life possible, you know, whether that contains some amount of difficulty to overcome or something and meaning and everything that you would want out of life, this machine will, um, you can you have the option of going into it for the rest of your life and it'll produce that for you. And given that option, most people would choose not to do it and to continue in the quote unquote real world. Uh, because, you know, I, I guess, I don't know what it may be different for everybody, but uh, the implications of why we would choose what we know to be the most true reality, as opposed to one where we wouldn't really experience any suffering, but, we would know that it's not the truest reality. I guess that's like the the red pill, blue pill thing in the Matrix. Simply put, it's like if every one of your meals was just like a chocolate chocolate ice cream, you know. Um, I spent like a week at Disney World once. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a full week uh, staying on you know, at the, at the hotel at Disney. And, you know, by the end of it, at the end of it, you're just like, get me the hell out of this place. Um, I've wanted to spend a full year there, you know, <laughs> a full year at Disney world and just see what happens to you. Cause you don't have to leave. You can buy everything on site. I think Anton LaVey at risk of sounding like a 13 year old said that, uh, Disneyland was the most satanic place on earth. So yeah, it would quickly transform it. And what, I mean, most people in the abstract would, imagine that as some kind of paradise or heaven but you you quickly see it turn to hell and i think actually this vision is um i mean what i like about uh say the the sort of like uh playful understanding of this in the, the realm of like tiki is like this whole play of uh trouble in paradise i mean it's not ju- just you know the jimmy buffett relaxing on the beach with the gooey blender drink it's like uh th- there's like s- skulls and shrunken heads and uh p- potential it's it's the idea of paradise but but there's a very real danger you could be confronting cannibals and so forth well i don't know how how people are how much people are cognizant but like the the whole undertone of of like colonial violence right right well that's part of all i think that's also part of it like the spirit of exploration that l- exists in man in, you'll also see like a lot of nautical junk around those places as well, implying that there's some kind of great voyage. So I think I think that's also part of it. It's like to be physically complacent. I mean, I guess maybe you could say uh, we're more in a state now 
I mean, most of the world has been discovered and globalized. Um, maybe, maybe now like the exploration is, is more in the mind. Um, I, I mean, I, that's not to discount, uh, space travel. Well, and then also like microbiology. Yeah. Yeah. Right. On the, on the micro scale as well. Sure. So it's like going in both directions. Uh, this sort of brings me to yeah, get into some like metaphysical shit here. Yeah, some people talk about how it's perhaps difficult for them to go so far as to say that they possess a true faith or belief in God, but they still attempt to live their lives as if he exists. And I was wondering if you would say like sitting and smiling or walking and talking, um, if you have sort of in some way come to view the, the camera's lens is something like the eye of God uh, <laughs> casting judgment upon you? Uh, yeah. One kind of angle of looking at both of those series is a sort of en masse uploading of my worldly existence to this digitized form in the form of a, like this video sort of archive, like 1,200 hours of me holding a pose and all the very slight variations in that and then this other one being kind of the linguistic uh mind in a vacuum of sorts kind of going on self-reflexively and putting all of this in a place that is public and archived and also in a place that is it's on the internet and so it's like it's in the middle of the place where humans I feel like are perhaps unwittingly transferring our consciousness onto a digital substrate um, just in a in a very like feels so natural as if it's like thermodynamically driven I mean you can see how it's economically driven the way that um, algorithms learn how to predict our purchasing behavior and to target ads to us. Uh, large corporations have every economic incentive to develop these algorithms that know the human mind as well as possible. And the way that we interact with, say, social media, uh, uploading every aspect of our lives with this intense reward system, this kind of like limbic system, reward system of getting likes and getting more well-known and stuff. Uh, it's this, this feedback loop where it's like our consciousnesses are playing out more and more online. And at some point, you know, like the, the fleshy body will be kind of irrelevant in, in whatever kind of like, in whatever way that the earth changes it's most likely going to be more habitable towards technology than it is towards bio biology. Like, like Facebook is this interface to, I feel like, understanding um, the human life that I feel like is leading towards a point where it's not going to need humans anymore. And um, one aspect of the project of like sitting, smiling, walking, talking is like creating this archive of my own mind that in the present is kind of interacting with the whole like, uh, I don't know how you say it, like noosphere, like the, the whole like internet consciousness that is composed of these inter interlinked human minds, we could say primarily now. But then if we can assume that the content on YouTube uh, stays in existence for a long time, which I have no reason to doubt, um, if there comes this time when there is AI that is able to have free roam of the internet and is able to, you know, instantly assimilate all of the information on YouTube or something. Well, here's one batch of like this one human consciousness um, operating in a sort of framework that would allow this AI to get a um, image or, con or reconstruct a more vivid model of my particular mind. So in some way, this is like the, the super DIY, like no cost involved way of like uploading my consciousness onto a computer that will, you know, potentially be reconstructed into some sort of AI after my body has passed on. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, like E.O. Wilson. Yeah. In uh, On Human Nature, there's this big, there's like this part where he starts talking about, um, you know, throughout cultures. And I think he's quoting someone else. But, you know, there's this shared thing throughout every single culture, regardless if it's isolated or not, that 
you know, they have the incest taboo. Um, they perform burial, burial rituals, um, you know, that, that type of thing. Like, it's just like a long laundry list of like shared, shared things that these people engage in like throughout all cultures. Okay. So things that are seem universal. Yeah. Regardless if they grew up on an Island or not, you know, it's a universal thing. It's like um, kids learn through play. There's like, there's like some element of like physical activity, like sports. There's, I I think it's like, there's 30, there's 30 traits that he views as like being shared. Uh, And uh, you know, his, his theory is that uh, biology will, you know, that is the anti-discipline to the humanities. And, you know, biology will overtake the humanities completely um, once once people realize that that's, you know, that that's the key to all of this, that our brains work this certain way. So I, at one point, though, with all of the things I just said, he goes, he's like, yeah, if you're doing something outside of that, sometimes it's like this forced, you know, you're forcing yourself to do it. So it's like with sitting and smiling or walking or talking, it's like, uh, do you feel like you're naturally inclined to do these things? Or do you think that it's something that you, uh, you know, get yourself to do to, uh, I guess, share your philosophical message? I think it's um, initially something that I have to get myself to do. Uh, but once I'm in the act of doing it and, you know, settling into the act of doing it, it uh, tends to feel pretty natural. And I, I tend to feel my, I, I feel like my experience transcends the day-to-day or something like that. My, the, the, the act of doing it kind of places me in a, in a relation to reality where the that that does feel transcendent of the typical logical and and biological urges. I wonder how much that has to do with psychologically the the act of sort of framing it within a certain time duration. Like yeah, I think that I think that's part of yeah, it. Yeah, like how you determine that, that was the proper duration. Like why why the four hours? Yeah, I chose that for sitting and smiling in a way because it was too long. It was it was way. You know, it was like it was like incredibly hard to do at first, and um, but it was, uh, yeah, it it was like that, it was like that zone where it's like almost impossible. And um, I mean, it's gotten easier, of course, as my body got used to it and my mind. Um, but it was that zone that was like it was like in effect like beyond my perceived limits. But then. I could do it. And then it was four hours and then I'd still have time to do something else in the day if I had enough energy. Through doing these videos, especially, uh, you know, the three, uh, it's 300 correct for sitting and smiling. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing 300 of those, have you noticed a, uh, a change in your personality, like dealing with people? Has it made you more patient or no? No, I've, I've noticed no change. <laughs> oh, wow. I was hoping it would make you like, uh, you know, reach this like, okay, I can be so patient now. or maybe you're already a patient person. I don't know. I think, I think that if I had not been broadcasting the sitting and smiling and I were just doing it alone, um, without telling anybody what I was doing, <clears throat> then it would have some kind of transformational effect. But the fact that it is broadcast publicly and it has this other uh, impact in the world that I can see, and, and in some ways I like receive some strange form of reciprocation, or I receive like a certain form of, I, I mean, to some extent, I've received some form of like reward, you could say, by the the fame of it, and the kind of it becomes a component of my own self image, like socially. Like I'll I'll meet somebody, and and maybe they're like, oh, you're the sitting smiling guy, or something like that, or or not even, or they ask me like about my life and what I do, and I'll uh, inevitably probably tell them about that, and then like then it becomes you know it, it it's like it's like the energy that I put into sitting smiling hasn't transformed me because it's manifested in the world in more concretized forms. You know, it's it's like as if it's come back to me in a more concretized form instead of uh, a spiritual form, which I I feel okay with. It's like. Um, if if I had you know if I don't receive a reward of that some sort, then it creates a sort of void that where 
some kind of transformation can enter. Lately, I've been reading um, this philosopher, Simone Weil, and uh, she, she talks about this pretty directly of like if you're acting without any kind of compensation, without any kind of reward, uh, then that that's the sort of thing that creates the kind of vacuum in which like some kind of or which I mean, she puts it as God like can enter. But with sitting and smiling, I'm not really doing that. But you're aiming for some kind of non-transactional experience, right? Yeah, I would say that um, it's it's almost as if like the the void is more like is manifest in in the cultural like dissonance of the experience of the YouTube viewer I would hope or or the 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 void of meaning that exists like in that uh, whatever internet uh, s- storm surrounds sitting and smiling you know you're feeling a reward for making or you know releasing this content and then sharing this personal thing that you're doing. Do you ever, um, before you upload the videos, is there any, you know, I guess a more traditional uh, content creator process? Like, do you go back and do you watch these videos? Do you no. watch the videos before you put them out? Or do you, uh, and also, have you ever held like a video back maybe uh, that you judged? Like, you're like, oh man, this is bad. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, there, so this applies to walking and talking not to sitting smiling, which was always live streamed, but walking and talking, I generally don't watch it back aside from enough to make sure that the video is uh, like captured correctly. Um, there's been, I think, maybe only one full four-hour episode that I decided not to publish um, because the my I felt like my my psyche went into uh, a negative direction that I couldn't uh, fathom any like redeeming qualities that it had in that moment um which which uh usually isn't the case but i think the reason for that was that in that time period that day that i happened to do it i could feel the sort of like spiritual energy that i was kind of like cultivating i could i could feel that in some way being reserved for a performance that was coming up that i i that felt very important to me. And so it, it was as if like experience of walking, talking on that day, which felt like this, which felt like, you know, kind of like going into a psychological hell, withholding that in a way um, be- becomes my way of like creating that certain void where I w- was like, you know, creating a certain vacuum for something to enter in during this performance that happened later. But normally, with walking and talking, if I am very committed to making it public, which I generally am, um, it's like I can, if, if I do go into uh, a negative experience, like that sort of uh, suffering generally becomes, I, I generally like move through it or like kind of metabolize it in during the episode in a way that I hope uh, becomes apparent and like you move through it into this other side where uh you are like entering yeah like you, you are are actually like transcending the suffering and and like the uh things like good mood or bad mood become kind of like moot point uh where you are existing kind of like in a perspective where you looking down upon that duality as like uh a joke or something like think that. about how like virtually all common new age thinking associated with um, various meditative practices is often predicated on some kind of belief that exploring dark thoughts or, uh, you know, God forbid, the unique human emotion of hatred is something that's generally to be avoided at all costs. And uh, do you find any deeper personal value or meaning in consciously engaging with neg- dark uh, thoughts or negative emotions? Um, let's see. I'm, I'm still like, I guess my jury is still out on that. Um, certainly there is a way to do it that we can call productive, um, and I'm calling it productive in scare quotes because like that kind of like does imply a certain duality to where you're striving towards a goal of happiness or the op or peace or the opposite of that. Um, or maybe not, maybe actually like what I mean by productive is, is, uh, actually like having these dark thoughts, like like engaging in a way that 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 forces you into a uh, a transcendent kind of uh, consciousness, 
um, by just by which I mean like a non-dual kind of consciousness. Yeah, I'm thinking about especially in uh, sitting and smiling. Like, <laughs> would you say that you're uh, you were smiling through the pain until the pain made you smile? Yeah, and and that that's yeah, that's like uh, not not inaccurate. Yeah, like sitting and smiling, like holding still um, and smiling. It's like kind of you could you could call that sort of a a symbol of equanimity or something like that of maintaining one sort of viewpoint of observation on on all experience that that is passing through you when i was saying that the jury's still out upon like engaging with dark thoughts like on the one hand like there there's a productive way of doing that and then but then i also wonder if there is also like a problem of engaging with dark thoughts in a way that just kind of perpetuates them right where you fall in love with it or it becomes part of identity yeah or or a sort of like a, a cycle of misery or something or 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 if you if you attack if you know if you have pain and then you you have the dark thought and then you would attach to it a, ne- a negative self-judgment for having that emotion you know then then you've got like a bad thing on top of another bad thing i guess sometimes people like just hitting themselves in the head with a hammer cuz it'll feel better later yeah i think i mean yeah you know i haven't of course i've not i'm sorry you know i haven't watched uh, all of your videos cuz it take a lot of my time yeah please go back and do that before we uh, you know have this yeah i poly- i really apologized but um out of the sitting and smiling you know going through them and uh, you know, of course, googling uh, highlights because you know these uh, this uh, some some of your you, I'm sure you've seen you know some of the some of the fans have made uh, like highlight videos yeah or uh, you know or citing certain ones and uh, number uh, sitting and smiling number two hundred and fifty seven um, where you know that's the one which you you, uh, you part way through you uh you know you cry yeah so it's very powerful to uh, see your face because i'm just trying to understand where those tears are coming from you know if is it a happy cry is it a sad cry which is it just the emotions overtaking you and that one it's it, it was uh it was initially triggered by like some like personal circumstances that i was going through just in life but then like in within the sort of vacuum of sitting and smiling, I, I felt like as, as if that uh, there was a sort of um, sad cycle of thought that was able to kind of grow uh, out of control in in the vacuum of that um, episode, you know. And it's like, like I, I'm not sure if it was really like cathartic of something, or 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 again, if it's if it's one of those things of of just like. A sadness kind of like perpetuating more sadness i'm not really sure about that one what initially led you down the pathway towards committing yourself to the practice of endurance art or like where did the desire come from that possessed you to do such a thing i mean in a in a way it was kind of um a strange outgrowth of my music practice where i was practicing a lot every day like i, I used to try to practice four hours a day sometimes as a goal and like so that's maybe another contributor towards that duration but you know i'd be practicing drums and i would get to times where it felt absolutely necessary to be just silent but to still be in within the framework of practicing you know to where making an actual sound was was not appropriate and like the the appropriate practice was silence but doing it within this other mental framework of like i'm here i am playing music but uh from an outside observer they would just see me like sitting here silently on the floor um so that was that's like one sort of bridge and and i was like kind of experimenting with different ways of conveying that like okay so like how can i transmit this sort of experience and so um, I think the first time I tried making a video of myself for an hour, just, uh, sweating, it was like an incredibly hot day. And, uh, I just made this video that was just my face, uh, for one hour, just sweating. Um, so like it goes from like a dry face to like a drenched face. Uh, and like, but just a, sto- a stoic expression, no smile yet. Yeah, no smile yet. And I was watching it back and there was 
something missing from it. I felt like I was kind of performing a certain kind of martyrdom or something, um, which that would feel like really kind of like inappropriate to do publicly. Like um, it, it almost goes back to this thing of like, of seeking reward or not. And by like, kind of like broadcasting this certain image of like what would be definitely interpreted as a sort of piousness of some form or another. Uh, and just like, not being interested in that. Um, but then if I'm smiling, it's like, on one hand, it's this sort of like gesture of acknowledging the viewer and making a friendly gesture towards the viewer um, and kind of offsetting what would otherwise like be interpretable as meditation or or piousness or, or just like sheer um, sort of masculine endurance toughness or something like that. Um, I just just makes it a lot more confusing and harder to place, harder to ascribe meaning to. So that's, I guess that's what I liked about that. Yeah, it seems like you've you've carried over. You'll sort of recalibrate self-reflexively in walking and talking by saying, maybe it's time to smile into the camera now. Maybe time for a little smiling. You know. Yeah, I guess um, in terms of like why why performance art. I guess also at that same time I was getting really into like past endurance are like uh, touching Shea and Marina Abramovich and Chris Burden and uh, stuff like that. But wanted, wanted to do something that was actually just for the internet, uh, just for the internet viewer and not like a documentation of a live performance for a live audience. To you, like when is, when is endurance art? Um, I, I guess like when is the act of doing something um, and enduring it? When does that become endurance art? Does the does the artist engaging in endurance art have to label it endurance art? Does it you know does that even matter or can an outside party call something endurance art? It's like if you work in a you know if you worked on an assembly line and you worked ten hours you know does that is the action of the worker? Yeah, <laughs> most everybody who labors is like you know doing much more endurance than than like Marina Bravovic is, but or or I am, you could say. Uh, so yeah, in a sense, it's, it's pretty much contextual, you know? Um, I, yeah, I, I don't actually like, I wouldn't actually prefer to contextualize myself that way, uh, in that I, I think the YouTube series actually have a greater power to them in their, in the ambiguity of how they're read, uh, that would be weakened if they were contextualized like in the art world or something like that i can agree to that it's the people that are exposed to it or, you know i'd say the average viewer of those videos kind of and you know this is this is just based off of me reading youtube comments it's like man what the fuck is this you know they don't um you know like the average viewer has no idea of like a christopher burden um I guess it's good to spread that uh, that type of expression to the, the the types of viewers that would watch it. You know, I don't know how many explore endurance art after viewing, but yeah, I don't think like any art history knowledge is really necessary for the impact of those things to be conveyed to the average YouTube viewer. It's like you know, like like the the because you can you can you can see like this the smile is pretty universal thing, and then like. Uh, it's so easy to see what the duration is, and then a person can just imagine uh, doing something like that for that long. Uh, so it's, it's, I feel like it's simple enough that like extra knowledge isn't necessary. Some of the interesting reactions. I like the entire group of uh, YouTubers that think that it's like some type of nefarious, like a uh, conspiracy. You know, <laughs> that there's like some something evil happening. The, the most popular conspiracy theory seems to be that i'm kidnapped and being forced to do it uh by gunpoint or something like that which with and and people i've seen people still clinging on to this uh with walking and talking as i'm walking around outside in various locations in the world for four hours nobody else around me um just talking talking very casually kind of uh um at many times with no kind of like strain or stress in my voice and people still like commenting like, Ben, who's forcing you to do this? Like, I want to help you be free. Yeah. Well, that says something interesting maybe about human thinking that even something 
as basic and benevolent as taking a walk and talking or sitting in a room uh, might be assumed to have some degree of negative intention a- a- applied to it. I mean, not e- not even something like, say, taboo or shocking. It's it's just like the most basic thing you can do. And even even then you can't escape the, the assumption of uh, negative intention, not even just on, by like one person, like to, to the degree that it's like taken up as a conspiracy theory. Which I guess this is a good time to bring it up. Ben, if you are in danger, um, next, <laughs> if you are in danger, uh, next video, next video at the one hour mark, say, say, oh my goodness, it's a beautiful day out. Yeah, that's your safe word. <laughs> so that way the Wranglers don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that, uh, I'm, I'll just say that like, I'm I'm being forced to uh, to do what I whatever I want basically. I'm being being forced to <laughs> being forced to uh, talk on on podcasts and uh, to walk around outside. And, so, uh, it, yeah, one of one of your novelties is or like you know I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it seems like you don't you don't have a conventional selfie stick. Uh, so you'll you'll use like a ice scraper if somebody's got one in their house or a or a branch or something yeah whatever is around i, I just like couldn't you know I, I looked at selfie sticks you know uh and they're all like like the cheapest ones like 80 bucks or something like that and i'm just like no it's just it's just a stick like well you're not really a consumer so that's it that fits in with your you're on brand there as your non-consuming self and it just and it, it's i mean that's a thing that is actually like um external to the actual video content you rarely if ever see the actual stick that's holding the camera but uh i'm also being seen occasionally by the irl person that happens to jog by me when i'm walking around outside and uh i kind of of enjoyed knowing that their experience is seeing this guy talking to a camera that's like on a wooden stick or on rubber banded to it, a car windshield scraper. Or right. So this is what I'm thinking. You can ramp it up another level if you used a uh, if you used a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they haven't they haven't invite they haven't invented yet the selfie rifle that's you know like the barrel is actually pointed the other way from the stock. <laughs> that that would actually that would actually predict. Uh, and accommodate the the most the, the the more wide use of guns in general. You know, they're not, they're, guns are more used uh, not to kill somebody else, but uh, they're used by the owner on the owner. <laughs> so, like, the, yeah, there could be a design improvement there. Is there a uh, is there like a particular place that you like uh, dream about walking and talking at, or does the location not matter to you? So I just sort of happened to try to go I, I, I try to go to the most distraction free place um, and so either that's like the woods near my house or if I'm like traveling because I'm on tour or something else then like try to find a path somewhere and I can it's easier the fewer people are around in general although I have done it like just in the middle of like Bellevue Washington as a choice of doing it in this populated urban scenario but for the most part um the more remote the better um i've also found that geographic characteristics of the place that i'm in play have an effect on my um psychology while i'm doing it and have a have a effect on the flow of the talking like for instance um when i was doing it recently on his on a very straight path through the woods where I'd see very few people uh, and it's like a wide path. I don't have to pay very much attention to where I'm stepping um, and I'm not making many twists and turns. I felt that that led to sort of a stronger uh, linear continuity towards the episodes. And there've been episodes where I sort of end up walking in a circle, maybe, maybe kind of by accident, like circling back on a path. Uh, and then I will find that my thoughts are creating a cycle in the same frequency. Uh, and then episodes where like the pathways are a little bit less clear, or if I'm a little less familiar with where I am geographically, uh, then that would sort of, that experience tends to, uh, correlate, um, with, you know, whatever sort of like 
narrative happens to be happening in my speaking. Um, so I I would like to go to more remote natural areas to do it. Or I mean, not that it, natural nature isn't that important, but like remoteness is so like i don't know it could be like an abandoned uh industrial complex or something but like the like a long straight walk with no people is just kind of like ideal also things like if i'm walking uphill uh thinking feels like i'm struggling uphill and vice versa like walking downhill i feel like i'm in a flow there's just yeah just like some kind of connection between body and mind yeah would you say that um free playing and walking talking walking and talking specifically have have been like in any way mutually beneficial practices in they're in some ways they're kind of complementary in that playing music i am kind of using my body in you know totally non-linguistic non-conceptual ways um and then walking and talking is is like almost solely linguistic so the, i think they're complementary forms of improvisation do you sort of categorize it in that manner like conceptually there's like walking and talking a kind of free playing i would say that i i could and it certainly wouldn't be inaccurate to say that but i don't i don't really it's i'm i'm at this point where i don't really like think of things as like improvisation because like that word seems to just like be cover so much um that I'm like, when, like, when am I ever not improvising? You know, it's like almost, almost meaningless. Right. Well, that's where I, I, I do sort of like adopt the, the free playing term more than I, I'm with you. I, I don't, I try to not use it where I can because I think that's like a more accurate definition of like when you're when you're doing some activity that's outside of yeah maybe maybe what we were saying earlier like outside of some transactional experience and that's breaking breaking the code in some way i guess it's i guess it implies a certain approach to making something that we would ordinarily think of as being having having more predetermined structure that we're uh kind of moving in orientation towards yeah do you do you think that there's um, reactionary motivation or like a view it in any ways like these these activities as being like sort of contrarian to some degree? It doesn't feel so much contrarian to me as as I feel um, a a lack of desire to um, a, a lack of a single a, I feel a lack of a singular concepts that feel compelling enough for me to realize in a premeditated way so it it feel it just feels more um, representative of the way that I experience reality or something like I can like to to have an idea for a piece of music and to hold on to that idea for that piece of music long enough to um, subjugate my the rest of my activities towards its realization uh, or to have a conceptual linguistic idea that feels important enough to temporarily um, stop the continuous flow of ideas in order to communicate this one idea very effectively. And so this continuous talking just for me feels like a more true expression of like the nature of ideas in general. And it calls attention towards, yeah, it calls, it, I mean, for me, it's like if I had an idea that felt so important as to um, subjugate all my other ideas in service of uh, realizing, expressing this idea, then then I would do it. But I guess what I have settled on as a way of expressing the ideas that I have is this kind of like continuous flow of ideas that kind of like, I, I think kind of reveals something about the ephemeral nature of all ideas and essential emptiness to any of them it's like i think that's i think that's maybe what i uh could be said to be expressing is like the uh, inherent emptiness to any kind of conceptual structure or or musical structure you know when i'm having those monologues internally i feel like if i express them outwardly it would uh, affect the mo the <laughs> the direction of the monologue um 
Have you noticed that? There, there's both the fact that I'm speaking aloud, but then maybe more importantly is the fact that I'm aware of it being heard by a great number of people. So like this, this is where like the kind of camera as eye of God thing comes in again. Um, it's it, it, like that places a certain um, responsibility on me. I, and so I, I can't just, it, it motivates me to not let my thoughts kind of run on in, in a more self-centered way, I guess. I mean, well, self-centered, that's like a confusing term because we could argue that the whole thing is self-centered. Like what, 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 what do we mean by self-centered is a whole nother thing, but like to be wandering on in abstractions that, uh, aren't relevant to my uh, immediate experience, which is, you know, what they might tend to do otherwise. Like uh, I could be sitting here alone doing nothing and kind of ruminating on something, you know, that's sort of like a tendency. Uh, but having the camera on saying everything aloud um, places me under this sort sort of, uh, I'm, I'm aware of being observed and trying to uphold some kind of responsibility. And that's like, um, a mode of talking that's neither for, just for myself or for other people. It's kind of like both and neither. But do you ever, you know, mid video forget that you're being observed? Um, I, I wouldn't say that I forget at all, but the, the sort of like dual experience of being physically alone in the woods or wherever I am and being observed, you know, from, from my perspective of filming in the future, by thousands of YouTube viewers, uh, I, I will have a varying degree of um, of like cognizance of that uh, sort of um, strange, strange like split reality. And so, like when I when I think about that while I'm filming, I'm like, there's something kind of insane about that. Um, and it's not always on the forefront, but it's it's always operating somewhere in my consciousness, I think, or or subconscious. So I had a question. Um, you know, observe that you have uh, little to no dependence on drugs or alcohol. Not much use for them. Would you say that either extended meditation or these four-hour videos serve as some kind of proxy psychedelic or soporific? mind-altering experiences in some ways walking and talking well actually in some ways they they feel like going so deep into sobriety uh that you come out the other end you know like the like zen thing of just like uh being okay with everyday mind of not seeking special state of mind um somehow paradoxically when you are really able to accept that to uh accept the quote-unquote sober state of mind with with uh without any like kind of like external alterance um sort of paradoxically like it opens up into some it can open up into something pretty psychedelic it can be i it can be a psychedelic experience at times and it can be an entirely like sober ordinary experience at times but more importantly those two things like lose their distinction from each other i mean like i i guess uh they vary in terms of their physiological exertion sometimes i'm walking pretty slow and relaxed and you know at, at times i might do some running or uh get more physiologically excited or something I'm wondering how much like things like uh, self-doubt, humiliation, uh, disgust, how much these factor in. Well, also boredom very much is like a motivation for doing different activities or, or maybe even as a source, source of inspiration. Like just wondering how much these things like factor in. And also like, do you ever think this is a great representation of myself? I look really good. Uh, so I need to counterbalance that by going into some state where I'm revealing something that's more vulnerable or more true, those kind of, uh, uh states or emotions. Um, so is, is the question like how, how, how do these things sort of play into the process or like, how are they, they motivators? Yeah. I mean, are, are you, are, are you conscious of like a need to go into that? As, as something that's valuable for you? Um, not, not inherently. Um, 
I kind of see those all as emotions and states that are going to happen inevitably. Um, and I, as far as I know, I think that I am not after either achieving or affecting in other people any particular state of mind or emotional state. And so I think that most of my, you know, time-based work that I do uh, is are things that kind of like allow all of those states to to pass through to exist and to exist in also in more kind of ambiguous terms than in specific emotions. Uh, so for instance, boredom, I, I mean, I think John Cage said something about like a, a way to practice was to do something that's really boredom and then like ideas will fly into the mind like birds or something like that. But boredom, boredom is, is really interesting. Um, if you do something that feels boring and then you keep doing it despite it, your experience of boredom, at some point you will stop experiencing boredom and you will kind of notice that the boredom is kind of independent of any particular activity and uh, has something more to do with the nature of your own mind. Um, and uh, similarly with uh, these other negative emotions, like, and it, it becomes apparent in the four hour framework of walking and talking that the negative and the positive emotions don't in fact are, are not in fact like um, totally tied to any concrete circumstances um, or even necessarily any temporary like physical circumstances. Like I, I, you know, like in the course of four hours, like my emotional topography, the term that I use a lot uh, goes all over the place and nothing, nothing substantial changed other than the, you know, movement of my mind. And I mean, and it becomes like revealed, like it, it often becomes revealed retroactively um, the the ways that those negative emotions like fit into life and fit into reality. And uh, they're, they're kind of granted a retroactive meaning. And um, I mean, it, it's like everybody has challenges in life and they like, it's probably, there's probably a few people that like wouldn't say that like, some something good in their life or something that's positive about their existence is not due to some challenge in the past and like what is challenge other than negative emotion is there any uh, particular response you've gotten that was thought was uh, thoughtful enough that you know it just uh I, I guess what's an example of like a really good thoughtful response you've gotten that you were like wow i'm glad i I do this, you know, or, and also the inverse. When I first started sitting and smiling, like you could click from my, from the YouTube page, there would be a link to my email. And so I'd get all these emails and I just had to get rid of that at some point because there were so many of people just like emailing me with just like why or whatever. Um, and so now it's like a bit harder for like, people can find a contact for me online, but they have to do a little searching for it now, uh, which I think is a good filter because very occasionally someone will actually write me a thoughtful email. And on a few occasions, that's like turned into a correspondence that's been interesting. And just I don't know, like the content of that actual response is like, I guess that means it's like someone like indicating that they sort of understand the motivation of why I would do something like this or that it resonates with them in, in some way or another. And then like, uh, I, I honestly, I don't mind any kind of response. I mean, the in the comment section, it ranges from all sorts of responses from angry to insults. Uh, a lot of it really, <laughs> a lot of it really base uh, behavior that you would expect from uh, the YouTube uh, gaggles of twelve-year-olds or, or whatever. I kind of like the idea of being like a black hole of for for comments on YouTube of you know doing something that's like uh, so profoundly empty, but then like uh, having that attract like uh, just this shitstorm of um, immaturity. I, I kind of enjoy that. It's like, wh why not like, why not uh, cluster? Why not, why not be the punching bag or something of, of this? Because I don't mind it, you know, but I'm, I mean, I'm not really reading the comments. So, but so it's like, why not 
um, you know, be this, the sort of like, uh, um, septic tank or something, you know, people get really mean. Um, but also people get really nice, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, I guess when you're doing a, a public, you know, I, uh, I guess when you're doing something public and, uh, you're inviting that response, it's, uh, I don't know, it makes you feel better. We, we can be, uh, misunderstood in ways that, uh, people might never understand but we can we can also be maybe understood in ways that we don't understand <laughs> you know the inverse is true <laughs> uh i'm thinking about if anybody if somebody had designed some kind of uh vr landscape for you to do a walking and talking in would would you consider doing that yeah i think i would i mean um that would it i guess there's the question of would we convey that to the viewer as well i suppose you would want to um maybe the viewer can see like a two-dimensional rendering of it or something like that while walking through it um but yeah i'd certainly consider it i guess uh, like then would i have to be would i need to be walking on a treadmill though probably the video is of me wearing a vr headset on a treadmill and then just talking uh with the user having no idea what I'm seeing. Um, have, you, have you ever done VR? No, I've only put on a headset once that was like an art installation at a gallery. Actually, two, two, two times. I saw that like Jordan Wilson piece that was in the Met or whatever, or the Whitney. Yeah, it's it's it actually gets pretty uh, immersive. Like uh, if you do it, I was kind of I was kind of surprised. Like I didn't think it would be as immersive, at least for, on my end. Once I started doing it, I was like, "Whoa, this is actually like I'm kind of getting lost in this." So it, it would be kind of funny to see you get lost in it, and then maybe that make you open up more in what you were saying. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder what that would feel like for me because, like, I, I've generally been so resistant to anything resembling the experience machine, you know. And so would I, would I be able to a- accept? subsisting in that reality for four hours you have put yourself consciously in some environments where you where it's like the opposite of bucolic nature or wilderness and that's yielded some some kind of results or you had like a starbucks tea yeah that was in in bellevue washington around all the the tech companies uh and that in that i mean that that episode in that episode i think i embodied the most kind of like uh, characterization that I have in walking and talking and just in, like kind of f- phrasing everything in terms of my conception of entrepreneurial buzzwords, tech startup culture kind of thing. So like, I don't know, uh, indulging a little bit in a, a, a Silicon Valley stereotype, I suppose. Like uh, sitting and smiling for me, like when I watch that, I'm like, dude, I couldn't fucking do that. And then when I watch walking and talking, I'm like, I could fucking do that. That is a difference between the two that I, I feel is pretty strong in that like sitting and smiling uh, is harder in in some, in one way. It like, it's, it's really like people ask me about how I sit and smile. It's like, I just kind of do it and... Uh, doing like the Vipassana meditation, I think is a really important tool to be able to do it. But like when it really boils down to it, it's just like the will to do it. With walking and talking, it really is like anybody could do this for four hours. And I, I feel like by nature of the process itself, I have a feeling like it would be as interesting with anybody, you know? Yeah, that's what's, I mean, it's almost like people talk about uh, scornfully in a, a very like um, old school philistine assessment when they look at certain abstract art and they say oh my child could do that which is like d- denying the fundamental mystery they could but they don't um and then if you, so if you did yeah i mean here you are actually doing it but this is even i think closer to that because it is so fundamental like something absolutely everyone does to some to some degree I mean, they don't have a selfie stick and they're not documenting it, but. Well, um, I guess, well, I mean, we could, we could talk forever. We can, uh, we can end it now or we can keep going. It's up to y'all. I've, I've, I've started to get into the mental mode of wrapping things up. I'm like started, started the, the process of wrapping things up. I could, I could, uh, continue with that and actual, actually wrap it up or I could unwind that process and 
reorient myself towards doing another two hours. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with doing it again and again and again and again, either publicly or privately. Um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do it again soon. See, talking to you is just so fucking painful. Um, and I love pain, you know, well, desist with this pain and then, uh, continue on with the, the pain of just ordinary life. The torture never stops as they say. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here and, uh, you're always welcome back. All right. Thank you, Caleb. Well, sir, uh, Always a pleasure, pain and pleasure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll see you in the future. And uh, thanks for yeah, thanks for doing this. The, the pain and pleasure are mine. And uh, thanks very much for having me on. And uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. All right, have a wonderful day. All right, bye bye. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He might be the prime candidate for for becoming like the world's first cyborg. There's a contradiction: is that he was he seemed somewhat keen to engage in technology, like uh, him saying that this was his DIY way of uploading his consciousness to the cloud to exist forever. Then at the same time, his uh, his obsession with being in the woods for walking and talking that's kind of contradictory. You know, and then his obsession with plants and like botany. Like one time he was at his house and um, he was cooking millet and he started uh, rapping just like um, you can cook some millet if you will it. But first, you, but first you got to till it. <laughs> I think I saw him do it. Another Let's time try calling Ben back to see if we can get him to drop some of that heat. Drop some fucking heat. Let's get Ben back on the horn. Let's get some fucking Mas Fuego. It looks like uh, we're talking to each other once again. Mm-hmm. You know, we said we would do this again, and yeah. we're already doing this. I didn't again. think it would be so soon. Actually, the main reason um, why I was uh, calling was to see if you would um, uh, do some freestyle rap, if you'd spit, spit, spit some fire. <laughs> I I don't think I've ever done that before. Uh, I've I've heard you do a little off the cuff, but uh, <laughs> um, I mean, there's I'm not saying I would I would say that my rhyming skills are pretty poor, but it it is so hot here that I, I wish I could open the door. then we could settle the score. But maybe I should start a new rhyme scheme and start saying things along a different theme. So that's like AA. And this would be BB, hey. I'm... Incredibly skilled at freestyling. Um, in my deep freezer, occasionally I have to do some meat piling, but only if I dumpster dive a lot of steaks. But mostly in my deep freezer, I keep a lot of frozen bananas and berries for making shakes. The frozen bananas, we call them Frobos around here. And uh, the bags that I put them in, we call them Frobo Baggins. I think I've stopped rhyming. Hat tip to my, hat tip to my boy. Hat tip to my boy. Once again, it's, it's always a pleasure and a pain to talk to you, Ben. I hope you have a wonderful day or night. I hope you have a wonderful night. It's uh, it's almost dusk. Hope you have a wonderful dusk. Thanks. You too. I hope you have a great dusk. All right. Greetings in reverse. Okay. Well, that uh, Ben really did actually drop some heat. That was pretty good. Spitting in slow-mo. Never... Uh, encounter anything like that before, i got to say. Yeah, that was... Uh, I would love to see him... At like a uh, rap show, like get on the mic and do that. 
five beats per minute or something <laughs> yeah that was i think that was slower than five beats per minute i don't know yeah wavered it was like a multi multi-tempo well i hope you guys have a wonderful night we thank you for joining us till next time all hail the exile hour thank you for listening to the exile hour please tune in next episode for another very special guest we appreciate your patronage if you have any suggestions for future guests, hate mail, blackmail, or another type of message, please do not hesitate to write to the exile hour at protonmail.com. As always, be safe, be vigilant, and keep listening.